Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. And Lord, we ask for grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. This brief time of prayer in which we listen to you, speak to you in our own words, and we do it today about those lessons that you give us from the manger, as you gave us so many lessons from the cross. You teach us much from the manger too in this great season of Christmas. And as we ask for grace to make this time of prayer fruitful, we think not only of this brief time of prayer, but of this Christmas season. All of the joy of those many celebrations that occur at this time, that we live close to you, that we live a very prayerful life. And we consider those seven lessons and perhaps many more, but let us consider just seven, that you teach us from the manger. And the first one is the most important, the lesson of love. Your very being there is a manifestation of God's love for us. Lord, you are the first Christmas present. So much did God love the world, that he sent his only begotten Son. And God loved this sinful world and sent you, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, to redeem us. He loved us so much that he sent the very Son of God to come into this world, dwell amongst us for 33 years, die on a cross to redeem us before ascending into heaven. What a manifestation of love. And as Pope Benedict says in his first encyclical, God is love. God has loved us with those two principal forms of love, which are eros and agape. Eros is that love of the passions, of the emotions, of romance. Couples, when they meet when they decide to get married, have that eros, they have that romance, they have that passion of love for one another, and God has that for us. And that statement may surprise us. Is this true, that God loves mankind with love of eros? And the Pope goes on to explain why that is indeed the case. Eros, he says, is possessive. It draws the beloved into oneself. And when two human beings love each other with that eros, they draw the other into themselves in a hug amongst other ways. And God draws mankind into himself. He embraces mankind and 
takes us into himself in the person of the word. And where we see that especially is in baptism. We become members of Christ's body. He doesn't want us out there. He wants us within his divine person. And he welcomes us into his person in baptism. And then that second form of love, agape, the sacrificial love. If Eros draws the beloved into oneself, agape empties oneself to give in sacrifice to the other. And that is the purest form of love. And Lord, you loved us with agape throughout your life, constantly giving, being there at the service of mankind, teaching, preaching, working miracles, instructing, and then your passion and death. No greater love does a man have than that he laid down his life for his friends. Lord, you did that, but you went beyond that. You laid down your life, not for your friends, but for your enemies. And as you say, no greater love does a man have than that he laid down his life for his friends. You are not man, you are God. You are the divine person of the word, laying down your life for your enemies. What love you have for us. And Pope Benedict too, in his trilogy, Jesus of Nazareth, in the volume on the infancy, looks at your swaddling cloths as you lie in the manger and sees in them a prefigurement of those cloths that wound you in the tomb after your death. The shroud. You were born to die. That is why you came into the world, to redeem us, that greatest manifestation of love. Everything about you speaks of love. And Lord, help us to respond to your love for us with more love for you. And that is easy now at Christmas when we behold you there lying in the manger and Mary and Joseph looking on you with love. You are love in the flesh, love with a human face. And we love you in return through our prayer life, through the sacraments, through our penance, and also by our love for those around us. Whatever we do to the least of our brethren here, we do to you, as you said. Help us to respond to that Christmas present that you are by giving of ourselves to those around us. Then we are responding to that first lesson, that first gift, which is yourself, the gift of love. The second lesson, spiritual childhood. You come not as a grown man, you come as a helpless infant. And you, the one through whom all things were made, as St. John writes in the prologue of his gospel, the Almighty, the Creator, through you all things were made, this whole universe. And you lie helpless there in the manger, totally defenseless. 
And Pope Benedict writes in his apostolic exhortation on the word of God in the life of the church, Verbum Domini, the Lord made his word short. He abbreviated it. The Son himself is the word, the Logos. The eternal word became small, small enough to fit into a manger. Now the word is not simply audible, not only does it have a voice, now the word has a face, one which we can see, that of Jesus of Nazareth. And Lord, you made us your children by your incarnation. St. John writes in the first chapter of his gospel, the true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You made us your children. We are born of God. And help us to live that spiritual childhood, that sense of helplessness. And that is the reality. As you said, without me, you can do nothing. We realize that. We are not in control of so many aspects of our life. We can't control the weather. We can't control the government. We can't control our health. Of course, we have to look after our health, but we can get sick at any time. And so we have that sense of dependence upon you. And this is part of that spiritual childhood, to be dependent totally on you. Tu es Deus, fortitudo mea, we say. You, O God, are my strength. We trust in you. You can do all things. You may not always answer our prayers in the way we want, but you always answer them. And we have that confidence in you that you always hear and answer us. And we read your words in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And Lord, help us to trust that our Father will always give us what is best, even though it might not be what we are asking for. And we can understand this too in your prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. You were begging the Father, if it be possible, let this chalice pass from me. 
this chalice of suffering. But you identified your will with that of the Father, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You are asking something from the Father. Did the Father give you what you were asking? No, he didn't. Nor did you expect it. That chalice of suffering was why you came into the world. And you accepted it, you embraced the cross, you suffered unspeakably on it to redeem us from our sins, to open up the way of heaven. If the Father did not grant to his beloved Son, in whom he was well pleased, what he was asking for on that occasion, the Father will not always grant us what we are asking for, but he will always give us what is good. As you say in that text that we just read, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Help us to accept those good things, even though at times they may not be to our liking. Help us to live as tiny children before you. When we gaze on you lying there helpless in the manger, we can ask you, help me to be like that, totally dependent upon God, trusting in God, aware of my nothingness. The third lesson, the lesson of contemplative prayer. When you are born, and Mary wraps you in those swaddling cloths and lays you there in that feeding trough for animals, what do Mary and Joseph do? They just look at you with love. And that is what contemplation is. The Catechism in the In Brief section, after describing the three principal types of prayer, uses the expression for contemplation, a gaze of love. Here the mind is not active, it is not discursive, going from one idea to another. It is still. It is the prayer of the heart. And Mary and Joseph just look with love at you. And this is what we do too when we look at you lying in the manger in the nativity scene or perhaps in our church where you are there to be adored. We just look with love and we think, this is God. This is the one through whom all things were made and how helpless he is and how much he loves us being there. So much did God love the world. And Mary pondered these things in her heart, as St. Luke tells us, describing that scene. She just pondered that great mystery of God who has come as an infant. And as we pray in those various Christmas carols, O come, let us adore him. Adore with our heart on fire with love, responding to your love for us. You are God. He shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And help us to be contemplatives in our prayer before the nativity scene, before you in the tabernacle, but also in the whole of our life, to find you at our workbench, in our car, in our recreation, in our family life, 
in all of our work, you are there to have that deep sense of your presence wherever we are, that we be contemplatives in the middle of the world. The fourth lesson, humility. Lord, you are God Almighty, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, and you have emptied yourself of the Godhead to take the nature of a human being, of an infant no less. And let us open the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians to the second chapter. And there we read, Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And Lord, those two stages, so to speak, of yourself emptying. The first, to become man and be laid in a manger as a helpless infant. The second, humbling yourself to be obedient unto death, death on a cross. But then, this is why God exalts you. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because you emptied yourself, because you humbled yourself, you were exalted. And we too, if we humble ourselves, admit our nothingness, come to serve as you did, the Son of Man came to serve and not to be served, to give his life as a ransom for many. Then we too will be exalted before God. Help us to learn this lesson of humility. There is no pride in Bethlehem. It is all self-emptying, all humility. And even the scene, you are the king of kings, the king of the Jews. You should have been born in the place of kings like a palace, a castle. But no, the humility of a stable surrounded by animals laid in their feeding trough. But even that is symbolic because you said, I am the bread of life. You are our bread, our food, and we receive that bread in the feeding trough of the manger. Learn from me, you say, for I am meek and humble of heart. Help us to learn this important lesson of humility. St. Augustine, speaking of that virtue, says, If you ask me what is the first thing in the religion and discipline of Jesus Christ, I will answer you that the first thing is humility. The second is humility, 
and the third, humility. And we might say, but St. Augustine, doctor of the church, certainly knew that the greatest of these virtues is charity. Yes, but in order to love others, one must be emptied of one's self, of one's ego. A proud person is full of himself or herself. A humble person is emptied of self to serve and love those around them. Lord, help us to learn this lesson. The fifth lesson, detachment from comforts. There was no comfort in Bethlehem. And if we put ourselves in the place of Mary and Joseph, making that long journey of five, six, or even seven days from Nazareth to Bethlehem, exhausted from the journey, Mary days away from giving birth, tired, weak, perhaps cold, or even wet from the rain, finding no place in the inn, and they finally have to go to a stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem, probably in a cave. And there Mary gives birth to the Son of God, to the King of Kings. There is no comfort there. But do they complain? Can we imagine Joseph or even Mary complaining about the lack of comfort? Certainly not. They are detached. If God wants to be born in a stable, so be it. Because God wants to give us that lesson of detachment from comforts, and we are surrounded by so many comforts. And when we look at our love of comfort, of pleasure, and we compare it with what we see in the nativity scene in Bethlehem, we might be embarrassed. And Lord, help us to be less attached to comfort and pleasure. And when those comforts and pleasures are not there, to accept them. This is the will of God for me, to offer up that discomfort, whatever it might be. And generally, it will be very little. Help us to learn that lesson of detachment. The sixth lesson, zeal for souls. We go back to St. John's Gospel in the third chapter, verse 16, and those familiar words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This is why you came, Lord, to save us, to redeem us, to open up the gates of heaven. You came that all might be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But so few know you truly. We do. And many of our fellow Catholics hardly know you, hardly practice their faith, hardly pray. Some don't even know how to pray. And then those non-Catholics, our fellow Christians, yes, often have great love for you. But most of the world isn't Christian. They don't know you. They don't love you. And you came for them too. How are they going to find out about you so that they can come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved? Lord, as you chose 12 apostles, 
and 72 disciples, today you have chosen us and you need us to reach out to those many around us. They too are the object of your love, but they will be saved if they come to the knowledge of the truth. Help us to be active apostles today as those apostles in your day were when you called Peter and Andrew and James and John while they were mending and washing their nets after a night's fishing and you called them to be fishers of men. They didn't throw up their hands and say, Fishers of men? What does that mean? I don't know what that's about. I can fish for fish. Perhaps, Lord, you can find someone else. No, they left their nets and their father, and they followed you, and they became those apostles who spread your word all over the world. Today, you need us to do this. Lord, help us to increase this apostolic zeal, this zeal for souls, that you can use us to reach out to those many who don't know you or to the ones who do know you, who don't love you as they ought, that we, by our example and our word, can help them to find you, to bring others to you, to have that goal of talking with somebody about you every day if we can. There are so many around us. And when we see the reaction of many who do respond, who are grateful that we have shown them Jesus Christ by our example and also by our word, they are so happy. They have found joy. And this is the seventh lesson that you give us, the lesson of peace and joy. And again, we go back to St. Luke and the account of the angels appearing to the shepherds in their fields near Bethlehem. In that region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. That message of joy, of peace. And Lord, we know If we want to be happy, we will be happy when we find a good. But you are the greatest good. You are the infinite good. When we have you in our life, we are the happiest. The saints are the happiest people on earth. And we know that. Even though we may be suffering at times, we might be sick. We might have problems in our life. But we have you. We have that joy. And again, we go to St. Paul in his letter to the Philippians, this time to the fourth chapter. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. 
The Lord is at hand. And Lord, you are lying there in the stable in Bethlehem. You are at hand. You came to this world for us. You are with us. You are in our soul in the state of grace. You are there in your word in the scriptures. You are there especially for us in Holy Communion. When you live in us and we live in you. The Lord is truly at hand and therefore rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And St. Paul goes on, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Joy and peace, that seventh lesson from the manger. And Lord, with all of this, we thank you for revealing so much to us in your incarnation, in your birth in that stable, in your being wrapped in swaddling cloths in the manger. How many lessons you teach us there. Help us to learn those lessons, not only to learn them in our mind, but to live them out in our life, that we can be like those shepherds who brought the good news to those around them, like those wise men from the East, representing the Gentiles. Lord, you had come for all. The shepherds were Jews, undoubtedly. The wise men were Gentiles not Jews. You came for all, and the wise men took that message back. Help us to live these lessons so that we can be your apostles today, that we can live close to you, that we can bring you to many and bring many to you. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this time of prayer. I ask your assistance in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.